Let me see the Bibles. I love it. I love it. Well, open your Bibles up. We're going to dive right in. Open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 8. We are in the midst of our sermon series here at Hillside Christian Fellowship that we've titled An Arrows Out Culture. And we are looking at the children of Israel and their time spent in Egypt and their time spent leaving Egypt. And we are right in the thick of it right now with our, uh, our main character, Moses. And he's been going before Pharaoh. And we just had the Nile turn to blood. And some more things are going to happen as we read this morning. So open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 8. Follow along with me as we read. I'm sorry we don't have the, the words up on the screen. We would have, but our cord broke, as Pastor Dave said, so no worries. This is what it says, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into your house, the houses of your servants, on your people, into the ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and your people and all of your servants. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs onto the land of Egypt as well. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servant and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the rivers only. And so Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people and they shall remain in the rivers only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And so the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out in the houses and out in the courtyards and out in the fields. And they gathered them together into heaps, and the land began to stink. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as he had said to the Lord." So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that they may become lice throughout all of the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on the earth and it became lice on man and beast and all the dust of the land became lice and the dust throughout all of the land of Egypt." Now the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice on man and on beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if... 
You will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and on your houses. And the house of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. And I will make a difference between my people and your people. And tomorrow, this will be a sign. And the Lord said, or the Lord did so, and thick swarms of flies came into the houses of the Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the lands of Egypt, and the land was corrupt because of the swarms of flies. And then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right that we do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, and he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away to intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of the flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore, and not letting us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from the people and from his servants, and not one fly remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, at that time, and neither would let the people go. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word uh, cuts through the bone and through the marrow. And God, that your word reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. God, we pray that this morning as we look at your perfect word, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that you by your Holy Spirit would speak through your words. And God, that we would be encouraged, God, that we would be inspired, and that we would be challenged. God, that your word would transform us from the inside out, and that not a one of us would leave this place the same as when we came. God, that the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, and your resurrection power, God, would change our hearts and minds. God, I pray that this morning none of these would be my words, but God, you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me, God, may I not get it out of my mouth but that your word would come through. So God, we thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We have a story here, and it is, uh, it's beginning to unfold. And it is getting a little bit messy. And we have Moses, and he's going before Pharaoh, and, and, he, and he's speaking to Pharaoh, and he's speaking the word of the Lord, and he's speaking with boldness, and he's saying, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying no. Over and over again. And this is where it gets a little bit messy. We got frogs and they're everywhere. Anyone ever seen frogs? Okay. Um, anyone seen lots of frogs? Okay. Uh, anyone seen toads? Okay. Um, when I've seen frogs and, and when I think of frogs, I remember being an elementary school kid out on the playground. And every once in a while when there was a good rain in spring, you go out at recess, and you might find a little tree frog. Anyone seen those tree frogs before? They're just like about an inch long. Now, frogs in South America and North America, so let's just say American frogs, range from half an inch 
to as large as 12 and a half inches. Now, I have never seen a foot-long frog before, but that sounds terrifying. And there were frogs everywhere. We're talking walking outside, squishing them under your feet, right? This is getting gross. And then God listens to Moses, and all the frogs die, and they begin to pile them up, and they begin to stink. It's getting messy. It's getting smelly. And then it's lice. Back to the elementary school days, just like the frogs. I remember those days in elementary school, and the number one rule was do not share your hat. Well, I like my friend's hat. It looks cool. It's got a Chicago Bulls logo, and my parents won't let me like the Bulls. They're Lakers fans, right? So I want to share. No, don't share. There's lice. And I didn't even know what lice were. Um, and then, then one kid got lice. And then we all knew what lice were. And lice are not cool. And so then the lice leave. And then swarms of flies. I hate flies. I absolutely hate flies. Fly swatters, they don't work. Flies are fast. My grandma has this really cool gun. It's a spring-loaded fly swatter on like a string. And you like push it back and you shoot and it like launches. And it's a great idea, but it doesn't kill the flies. And there are flies everywhere. How many of you guys have seen that new fly uh, removal gun that they have for people? It's like a little pump-action shotgun that shoots rock salt. Has anyone seen those? Those are super cool. I want to get one because I hate flies. But they're everywhere. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and reject God. And that is where we are at today. Exodus chapter 8, we see three times Pharaoh is given the opportunity to turn to the Lord, to heed the Lord, but what does he do? He rejects God. Now, what we begin to see and what we began to see last week and as we're going to continue to see in the weeks to come, when we have all of these plagues, there is 10 plagues that take place when the Israelites are on their way out of Egypt. And it is ironic and interesting, or maybe God had a plan, but each one of these plagues coincides with one of the Egyptian deities of the Egyptian pantheon, the gods that the Egyptians worshipped and had put all their faith and trust in. You see, God is not only showing himself supreme, he's not only showing himself powerful to the people and to the Pharaoh, but he's showing himself powerful, sovereign, omnipotent over the false gods of the Egyptians. We have the first Egyptian god here that, that, that we can draw a correlation to is the Egyptian god Heket. And Heket is the Egyptian goddess of fertility, of water, and of crop renewal. Okay? Heket is a human with a frog head. Egyptians loved frogs. Frogs were the thing for Egypt because they didn't have pesticides. They didn't have any of these uh, chemicals to help them grow their crops. And when there were locusts and when there were flies and when there were other insects that were coming to destroy the crops, out of the Nile and out of the pond would hop these frogs and the frogs would love it and they'd be eating all the bugs. Because they were eating all the bugs, the crops in Egypt were able to flourish. So the Egyptians had a lot of respect, and they believed in the god Heket that these frogs were the blessing, and they were the blessing not only for the water and for the plants, but they were a blessing and fertility because when you eat the good Egyptian food, you make the good Egyptian babies. <laughs> and so they worshiped the frogs. But God says, uh-uh-uh, there ain't no frog god. There's me. And I'm the one true God. And he uses the frogs 
What was once a good thing for the Egyptians became something they hated because they were everywhere. We have Geb. Geb is a pretty lame name for a god, I'm just going to say. But Geb is the Egyptian god of the earth, and he was the god of creation, and he was the god who, who made everything flourish from the earth. Geb, well, God beat Geb by turning his power, the dirt, into lice, something that was annoying. And God is going through, and he's going to dismantle the Egyptian pantheon, the Egyptian religion, by saying, no, all of that, that's rubbish. I am the one true God. The next one we see is Kepri. Kepri is the Egyptian God of the movement of the sun. He is the God of rebirth. Kepri is a human with a fly's head. And God uses flies, a swarms of flies, to block out the sun, to, to, to make life miserable, showing the Egyptians that they have put their faith in something that is false. And it's super cool because God, at the end of it all, shows himself powerful, shows himself sovereign, and shows himself as a God who hears his people and answers them when they pray. If you're taking notes this morning... The title of this morning's message is The Finger of God. The Finger of God. We pull this from uh, chapter 8, verses uh, uh, 18, where we see that the magicians, they try to replicate what Moses did and what God was doing, and they couldn't. And the magicians say, this must be the finger of God. Now, all of this is grandiose story, and many people have written it off, many secular people. Uh, scholarship has written it off as this is all just a good story to encourage people, but it never really happened. Seven weeks or so ago when we spoke uh, out of the historical context of Exodus, we broke down how this actually is historical. And there is a historical account by a guy by the name of Ippawar, who was a priest in the Egyptian uh, religion, and he wrote about 200 years or so after the fact all these miraculous, crazy things that God had done, and he destroyed the Egyptians. And so we can see from the own historical record of the Egyptians that some of these things took place. But I'm not going to dive any more into history. I know it's crazy. You thought I was going to talk the entire time about history, but I'm not. Okay. I'm wrong. I'm going to talk a little bit more about history. Uh, we have these magicians, and I just want to draw some attention to these magicians before we dive into the story, because these are magicians who are only named as magicians throughout the book of Exodus. Paul's going to refer to them a little bit later on in the New Testament as these two fellows by the name of Jannies and Jambres. Now, those names, Jannies and Jambres, they don't appear at all in Exodus, but they appear in Jewish tradition that predates the New Testament. And so we can see that Paul had more information that is presented here. And these guys, Jannies and Jambres, they did some things that actually became somewhat amazing. You see, Jewish tradition and the rabbinical tradition of the Talmud tells us that at this moment when they say this is the finger of God, they leave the courts of Pharaoh. And Jewish tradition tells us the Jannies and Jambres leave with Moses, with Joshua, with Aaron, and with the Israelites when they leave Egypt because they saw how powerful God was. 
and their magic could not compare to the creator God. Their gods could not hold a fist to the God of the universe, and so they converted and they left. Now, whether that really happened or not, we don't know. It's Jewish tradition. But we can be sure that we serve a God who is powerful, and he transforms even the most out-there mindsets. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, our uh, title for the sermon this morning is The Finger of God, and our first point is this. God is persistent in his want for our praise. God is persistent in his wanting for our praise. It says this in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Again, in verse 20, we see God speak to Moses and say, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and tell him, Let my people go so that they could go and worship me. God is persistent in his want for our praise. Psalm chapter 68, verse 41 says this, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. God is worthy of our praise. God desires our praise. Not only does God desire our praise, but God is persistent in wanting our praise. And I know sometimes I think about that and I'm like, man, God's kind of full of himself, isn't he? And that's man's mindset. Because we're told over and over again that we're not supposed to want praise. We're supposed to be humble. But now we're serving a God who wants praise. What does this mean? I don't understand this. My finite mind cannot wrap my mind around the fact that God is declaring, I am best, I want praise. But C.S. Lewis does a really good job of, of helping us refocus our mind in what is truly happening when God is desiring of our praise. C.S. Lewis says that praising God is the fulfillment of our joy. When we give praise to God, it is the fulfillment of our joy. Therefore, when God is pursuing or even demanding our praise, he is pursuing the fulfillment of our joy. Now, this might at first seem kind of counterintuitive, but God is great. God is central. And at those very moments when God is at his highest, so we can experience our highest amount of joy. John Piper says this. He says, joy is not thinking highly of ourselves. Rather, joy reaches its highest moments when we are in our height of self-forgetfulness and in the presence and the beauty of who God is. Worshiping God is not about God saying, look at me, I am all that there is, I'm the best. What God, in essence, is doing, this is beautiful, and, and this is why God wants our praise, is because God wants to give his best. And God knows that he is the best. God is due all praise because he is worthy of it. If praise is properly deserved, then praise is properly obligatory. We owe praise to the Lord because God is giving his best to us. God loves each and every single one of us so much that he saw us in our sin. Romans chapter 5 tells us that while we were in our sin, God demonstrated his love towards us that he sent himself 
to take on the punishment for our sins so that we could experience the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of his grace. And because God loves us so much, he gave his best. And now it's not because we have to earn his love, we have to earn his grace. No, he's already given it. And now we bring before him praise. God is so great, and it is because he is so great, he is greatly to be praised. And so being praised to God is the fulfillment of our joy. So the question that could be asked, is God a megalomaniac? Is God some transcendent egotist? Of course not. Of course not. In all reality, that question in and of itself is arrogant and irresponsible. It's because our minds can't comprehend how great God is. When we begin to equate God to a human standard, but God is so much higher than any human standard. Fallen creatures that are blinded by sin cannot see that if we rob God of his glory, then we are in essence robbing ourselves of our truest joy. When we rob God of the glory that he is due, we are actually undercutting what God wants to do in and, our, in and through our lives. God is persistent in the wanting of his praise because God knows that he is best for us. Here's a little story. My brother and I, um, we like to play. We are goofy and we like to play. And when we were younger, we moved into this house in Clackamas and we had a pretty big backyard and there was grass that was like three feet tall and it was cool. We thought we were in the Serengeti and we were gonna go on a safari. It was awesome. And then my dad used a weed whacker and took it all down. Okay, awesome. Now we have a really big backyard and we wanted a fort. Oh, we wanted a fort. We wanted our own special playground where we could play ball tag, where we could climb to the top of it and jump off of it and pretend we're superheroes and hit our faces on the ground. It was, we wanted an awesome fort. And so we went with my dad to Home Depot and we were gonna go look at some lumber. And my dad is, he, he, he can build. And, and, and if you ever play Legos with my dad, I encourage every single one of you, go ask Pastor Dave if you wanna play Legos because he will drop everything to play Legos with you. It's awesome. My dad can build some pretty amazing things and he can draw really well, and I know this. But then we're at Home Depot and we're looking at the lumber and my dad's pricing everything out and getting things ready, and then we see it. The floor model of this pre-made fort. And John and I look at it and we're like, wow, that's cool. Because it was the here and it was the now and it was gratifying to us. We're like, Dad, we want this fort. And you could almost see the childlike heart of my dad sink. He's like, but I had a great idea. It was going to be a good fort. We're like, no, Dad, we want that fort. It's cool. We want this one because it, it can be done. So my dad, he acquiesced, and he got us the fort. And as the years went by and that fort began to really not be that good, John and I, to this day, will still think to ourselves, I wonder what we would have got if dad built us his fort. <laughs> and it's real. But check that out. That's how God is with us. God wants to give us his best. And God's got something amazing for each and every single one of us. And the reason we give praise to God and the reason that God wants our praise is because he wants to give us his best. But so often we sell ourselves short by not giving God praise. 
By not living our lives in a life of worship and sacrifice to the Lord, we say, you know what, God? No, we're going to settle for the here and now. This is good, God. I like the blessing I have now. This is great. I'm satisfied. But God has so much more, and that's why God desires and almost demands our worship. It's not because he's egotistical. It's because he's the most selfless and loving person there is. God loves us, and he wants to give our best. That is why he wants our praise. God wanted the children of Israel to have freedom. He wanted them to experience his presence. And so he says, let my people go so that they may come and worship me. It's not because he needs it. Let's realize this for a minute. God existed before time. God existed before the creation of the world. And man didn't show up on the world until day six. God didn't need us. God doesn't need you and I. But the beautiful thing is God wants. And he loves and he created, and now because of that, we give glory and honor back to him. The finger of God can be seen here because God is so perfect in his wanting of praise because he wants to lavish us with blessing, with joy, with peace, with the life that is full of grace and where his love abounds. The second point that I'd like to draw our attention to is God is perfect in his watch of our prayers. God is perfect in his watch of our prayers. Exodus chapter eight, verse 13 says this, so the Lord did according to the word of Moses. You see that? The Lord did according to the word of Moses. Exodus chapter two, verses 24 and 25 tell us this, that God hears and he turns. He hears with his ears, but then he turns and he sees. I was trying to think as I was writing this, God is perfect in his watch of our prayers, not just in his hearing of our prayers. How many of you know we hear with our ears, but maybe we could argue that we actually hear with our eyes even more? Body language is an amazing thing because you can hear one thing audibly but you can know that is not what's actually being said by someone's body language. I've been uh, catching up on a show that I've watched before, um, and I'm watching it again, and I'm watching it very fast. Um, the Office is on Netflix. Now, I don't endorse this show fully, okay? But there's at least one or two characters in there that I can kind of relate with. Um, I'm going to say the name Michael Scott. I don't relate with Michael Scott. He, he, he's the boss, and he's crazy, and he does some pretty outlandish things. And you can hear what Michael Scott is saying, and most of the time you don't fully agree with it. But there's another character by the name of Jim Halpert. And Jim, he, he does some funny things, he does some talking, but like the most funny part of this show is Jim's body language. Because every once in a while, something crazy is going on in the office, whether it's someone catching the office on fire so that they can fake a fire escape just to make sure their safety protocol is in line. And everyone's going crazy, and then the camera turns to Jim Halper, and Jim's doing his thing, and he looks at the camera, and he catches eyes with the camera, and he makes this face that you can hear. Jim is just like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? 
Body language is something that we all know. No one taught us body language. No one taught us how to translate body language. But we all know body language when we see it, and we all know exactly what it means. Any husbands and wives out there seen body language before? Right? We serve a God who not only hears our words, but he sees us where we're at. And he knows the desires of our hearts and he knows our prayers and he sees the even body position we put ourselves in when we pray. And he can see when we pray the fervency or the lack thereof. God sees when we pray and he watches over our prayers and he knows them. He is perfect in his watch of our prayer. 1 John chapter 5 tells us this. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. Psalm chapter 66 verses 17 through 20 say this. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away from my prayer, nor has he turned his mercies from me. So no matter where you're at in your life, God sees you, and he hears you, and he is answering your prayers. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace John 14, 14 says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God is perfect in his watching of our prayers. Now I've had conversation with many people in the realm of prayer. I've gone to people for counsel and guidance in the realm of prayer. Because so so many times we ask the Lord and we don't see an immediate response. Oh, sometimes we do. I remember many times in my life where I said, God, is this what I'm supposed to do? And it was very clear that yes. I also remember the times where it was very clear, no. No, Matthew, you're not supposed to go ask that girl at McDonald's on a date. It's not wise. (laughs) I remember minutes like this. But there's the other times where we ask of the Lord and we don't hear. And we wonder, does God actually hear me? Is God really for me? Does God really know what's going on? May I encourage you and exhort you this morning that God hears, and not only does he hear, he sees, and he's answering. I heard it said one way, And it stuck with me. That's what I tell everyone now. God answers your prayer the moment you pray it. And he answers one of three ways every single time. Every single time. God does not answer any other way than these three. Go. No. And slow. When God answers with go, that is the resounding yes. This is what you should do. Sometimes God answers no, and it's clear. 
But in those moments where you don't have clarity, where there's moments where you don't hear, know this, that God is answering. He's saying, slow. Put your trust in me. Press in. Seek me a little bit more. I want to reveal myself to you. But press in. Push. Slow. Sometimes we ask for things that are good, but it's not in God's timing. So God says, slow down. Trust me. I'm at work. God hears us when we pray, and he answers us every single time. So not only is the finger of God evident in his wanting of our praise, in his persistence in the wanting of our praise, but God is perfect in his watch over our prayers. A third way that we can see the finger of God operating here in Exodus chapter 8 is God is patient in his waiting through our proclivities. You see, we as individuals, we fall short. And we fall short quite often. If you're anything like me, you fall short all the time. The word of God tells us that we are all sinful. And we serve a God who is patient even when we are not running headlong after him. So Pharaoh... Pharaoh's hanging out, and Moses shows up. Says, there's going to be frogs if you don't do what I say. Pharaoh says, yeah, right. And then the frogs show up. And the frogs were something that was once amazing. It was the lifeblood of Egypt. I said earlier that they had such reverence for frogs. Frogs brought the pleasures of life. But what was once a pleasure has now become a plague. And when we as people, as sinners, the sins that are our own, those things that, 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 that make us feel good, that were once pleasurable for us, if we continue in them, God turns the thing that was once pleasure into a plague. We can see human nature in Pharaoh's actions because Pharaoh is asked by Moses. Moses says to Pharaoh, he says, when would you like me to pray that God would remove these frogs? Now the frogs at this point were like the worst thing ever. They are everywhere. They're in the beds, they're in the kitchen, they're in the jars of rice, they're in the bathroom, the frogs are everywhere. And I don't know about you, but if the guy who brought the frogs out said, hey, when would you like me to ask God for the frogs to go away? I'd be like, right now, please. Like, come on, right now, remove these frogs. But what does Pharaoh say? He says, wait till tomorrow. And there's a picture there. Because isn't it human nature for our sin, for the thing that was once pleasure for us that is now becoming a plague, it's bringing destruction in our life, and God says, hey, I want to take that away. Bring it before me. What do we say one more time? One more time, God. I promise I'll be done after this, but one more time. Human nature is not to give it up. God wants to take those things that are a bondage for us, 
He says, lay them down at the cross, but so often we say, okay, God, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. What's amazing about God is that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. And no matter where you are at in your life, whether you're headlong into sin, or maybe you're rejoicing right now because that plague is gone, God is still relentless about saving us. Pharaoh said, eh, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. He was putting off for tomorrow what could have been done that moment. We can be so knuckleheaded at times. But God wants to bring his best in our lives. He wants to bring deliverance. God is patient. I'm not. I'm learning patient. But God is patient. He's not developing in it. He's not learning it. God is the essence of patience. And he displays it in everything he does. We just wrapped up a, a year-long study in the book of Genesis. If, if there was one book in the Bible that was a case study for the patience of God, Genesis. Adam and Eve. God's patient with them. God is all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's, he's everywhere. Adam and Eve sin. They go and hide. Now, God knows where they are at, but he's giving them opportunity to confess. So God's like, hey, where are you guys? God's patient. Let's continue on down that train. Mankind, from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Noah, God is patient. But there's some times where God's not going to strive forever. The life of Abraham. Abraham, I want you to leave the land of your father and go to the land I have prepared for you. Okay, I'll get there, God, in like 30 years. But God's patient. God's patient. You move on to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and now the children of Israel. God's patient. We're gonna see God's patience like magnified in the history of Israel. I mean, this is God's chosen people. I've led you out of captivity. All right, God, well, we're not too patient. We're going to make an idol. But God still loves them. They get into the promised land. They start going off with other gods and other idols. God's patient. He still loves them. The picture is that God is patient with us. And God loves us. And not only does God desire our praise, not only does God hear us when we pray, but God stands with us when we're just being dumb. And he says, turn to me. Turn to me. And here's the beauty of it. The Bible tells us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be put on his waiting list and he might get back to you tomorrow. It doesn't say it'll be in a few minutes. No, it says you shall be saved. 
God is patient and he's loving and he wants to give us his best. I have one more story before I wrap up. About a year ago, uh, it was in January, I was preaching here and I, I made a confession from the pulpit that I got a dog and my dog was terrible. And about January of last year, we fully began to experience the terribleness that is Thomas Petty the dog. My dog opens refrigerators and he eats our food. <laughs> Tore our kitchen to shreds. By about February, we had child locks on every single cupboard, two child locks on the fridge and two on the freezer. Not because Mariah and I are having kids, but because we have a dog. <laughs> and this dog drive, so that's crazy. And we were gonna get rid of the dog. But then we're like, no, the dog's so cute. And the amount of joy he brings is greater than the amount of frustration. And I made the confession about a year ago that I was beginning in the smallest sense to understand God's patience with us. Because I'm a lot like Thomas, my dog. I just keep messing up. But for whatever reason, God doesn't get rid of us. And now, a year later, I can stand here and say, I've been patient with my dog. And he still messes up. Or this isn't going to be like some time where I say, he's perfect. <laughs> but when we got back from Thanksgiving this year, he destroyed, oh my goodness, he, he locked himself in a bedroom. I don't know how he did it but he destroyed the bedroom. Um, but since then, he hasn't really destroyed anything, and he hasn't broken into the fridge. He used to, he, he used to have a bad, he couldn't hold his, his, his business. Uh, he had a bladder problem. Um, but he doesn't use the restroom in the house anymore. I was like, what, what's going on? This is a new dog. He like actually comes and tells us when he has to go to the bathroom. Brilliant idea. He puts himself to sleep at night. You just have to drag him. Like literally drag my dog across the floor. You have to go to sleep. But now he actually comes to the couch and whines at Mariah and I if we're not in bed by 9.30. And he goes and puts himself in the kennel. You see, God's patient with us and we're dumb sometimes. But God continues in his patience. And I think we can be a lot like my dog sometimes. And if we see the patience of our master and we begin to submit to the instruction of our master, we begin to see change in our lives. And so I want to encourage us this morning. God is patient. And he doesn't have to learn it. He just is it. And his patience is his grace. God loves us. God is persistent in his want of our praise. God is perfect in his watching of our prayers. God is patient in his waiting through our proclivities. Here's a bonus point, final point. This would make a lot more sense if it were up on the screen. But the last point is this. Gosh, does Pharaoh have his wits during this process? Pharaoh's a knucklehead. Because verse 32, what do we have? Pharaoh says this. 
my heart is hardened. I'm not going to let him go again. We can learn a lot from Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to end up giving in and turning to the Lord and submitting to the Lord. But it's going to be at a very great cost. It's going to be at such a great cost that it ends up costing him his own life. But let's learn from Pharaoh and turn to the Lord sooner than later. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to close in a time of worship. And we're going to turn the lights down. But as we look at Exodus chapter 8, and when we look at the life of Pharaoh, when we look at the life of Moses, more importantly than those, when we look at the character of God, we see the picture of a God who loves and cares for us with a love and a care that we cannot comprehend or understand. God wants our praise, and he wants our praise because he wants to give us his best. And so I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you are here this morning, and you know that your life of worship, that your offer of praise has been subpar. I want to invite you this morning to make a resolution, not a New Year's resolution, but a life resolution, that your praise, that your worship to the Lord is going to be with your whole heart. Not because you feel like it's a duty, not because you feel like God's going to smite you if you don't, but because you want to experience the best that God has for you. I want to encourage you that if that's you this morning, when we enter into this song one last time, I want you to lay it all on the altar. Come before the Lord and offer him your fullest praise. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just confused and you don't know where God is in your situation. And, and, and you heard me say that God answers, and sometimes he answers go, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's slow. And maybe you're here this morning, you don't know where you're at in that spectrum. I want to encourage you when we enter into worship, make where you're sitting a place of prayer. We had prayer time already, but we're going to spend a little bit more time. And I want you to seek the Lord. Because the Word of God tells us that we can boldly approach Him and he hears us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've put your faith in Jesus and the forgiveness of your sin, but you're a knucklehead like me. You're a knucklehead like Pharaoh. And you feel that maybe you've done something and God can't forgive you. God loves you. And his word tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that's you this morning and you love the Lord, but you don't feel worthy, in this time of prayer, I want you to just bring everything before the Lord. Say, God, I'm broken and I need you. Maybe you're here this morning and this is all new to you. You've never put your faith in Jesus. 
as we sing this song, I want you just to search your heart. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, his Holy Spirit is already working on you right now. His word tells us that his Holy Spirit is drawing men unto him. Submit to the Lord this morning because he loves you. He's not some tyrant. He's a loving God who wants to save you from no matter what mess you, you may be in. And we're gonna, we're gonna pray a prayer after we sing this song one time. And we're gonna pray for all those things, but we're gonna invite the body of Christ this morning to enter in and we're gonna invite salvation to be here in this house this morning, amen?